All right. Good morning. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 28, and that is on page 941 of the Pew Bible in front of you. Hear now God's word. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that it is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boastings? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that no one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Please bow with me as we pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you so much for this day and we thank you for this body of believers. We pray now as our pastor Cody comes and preaches the word of God to us that we would um, that we would listen, Father, and, and we would just Rejoice and be grateful for this truth that we are justified through Christ, who is our sure and steady anchor, Father. We just thank you so much for that, and we we praise you that it is not through our merit, but through the blood and sacrifice of our Savior. Please bless our service to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, this is the second of... In our series on the, the five solas, uh, faith alone is what we'll tackle this morning. And let me just kind of paint a picture, a roadmap for us on where we're going. Uh, I'm going to offer a few brief words of introduction, sort of tying this to last week. And then I'm actually going to pray for us again. And then we're going to launch into faith alone. And what that will look like is a lot of introduction. And then we'll tackle uh, Romans 3 a bit. First of all, let me just say that as we're talking about the five solas, such as sola scriptura last week, and the text that I used was 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16, that we have to understand that these doctrines are built as a a biblical, on all of the Bible. So for instance, by way of example, if you were to take 2 Timothy 3, And go to a friend who maybe you find out doesn't believe and the authority of scripture alone and engage them in a conversation. I just want to warn you, they will probably blow holes in your argument right and left. We cannot just take one passage of scripture. It's not going to be, there's not one sort of proof text. This Romans 3 might be the closest. But we build these things as as across the Bible. So don't just think, well, I've got it now. Go home and read your Bible. Be a good Berean and look up many of the cross-references that you can find easily. And I trust that you'll be able to strengthen your understanding of the different doctrines we'll look over. Also, by way of an explanation, when we think of the Protestant Reformation, we think rightly of 500 years ago. But we have to also understand that God has done the work of reforming his church over way more than 500 years. 
The Protestant Reformation, as we rightly think, starting in October 31st of 1517, actually really began about a hundred years before that, as I explained last week. And some believe that Martin Lloyd-Jones was the last of the reformers, and he died in 1981. Therefore, we're looking at a long amount of time. We look back at history and we think we sort of all got them all packed together. But in reality, these things aren't very well packed together. They spread out over a period of time that's more than the history of our nation. What that should tell us then is we should be faithful to be people of the Bible and trust God to bear fruit maybe 500 years from now. But let's be those who are faithful and trust God to bear the fruit out. Let's go again to the Lord one more time in prayer. Father, we face uh, your word this morning. And we are facing it with a desire that it looks us clear in the heart, in the eye, in the mind, and confronts us and teaches us and instructs us and is profitable for us. So we ask for your help by the power of your spirit for your glory. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you're to turn on the news If you're to pull up a newspaper article, if you're to turn on the radio this week, what would you claim as the world's greatest problem right now? Well, the list is long. You could pick a nation, North Korea, biggest problem we have in the world right now. Iran, biggest problem we have in the world right now. Nuclear warfare, national debt. Racism, terrorism, political corruption everywhere, abortion, poverty, sexual sin, the list can go on and on and on. And you can, you can pick one, you can lump them all together, but what is the world's greatest problem right now? Well, I would submit to you what the Bible submits to us. Is that even all of those things that I've mentioned and we could keep going lumped together are nothing compared to what the Bible says is our greatest problem. And that is that God is 100% against sinners. God's wrath is 100% against sinners. Now all of those things I've mentioned before that are certainly important. But Isaiah 13 verse 11 tells us, God, I, will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Well, we're thinking that's that's the wicked. That's not good people. The Bible tells us there's no one good. So we're all lumped in pre-Christ, pre-salvation with the wicked. Or Romans 6, 23. For the wages or what we earn for our sin is death. And I wish the wages of our sin was just death. In that we could get away from God. But that death is not just physical. It's also spiritual. And we face the full 100% wrath of God upon us. And yet it also says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what the Bible does for us is it sets up this morning 
that God is either 100% for you or he's 100% against you. And I think clearly the scriptures tell us that's the world's greatest problem is that God is, his wrath is 100% against sinners. Now, as I already said, in October 31st of this year, the Protestant church will celebrate the 500th year anniversary of the Reformation. And God used one uh, particular young man to be the spark amongst the many others that were already speaking out against the Catholic Church. He used this particular one man, Martin Luther, to ignite uh, a, a desire, a spreading of the return to the Bible as our sole authority of life, faith, and practice across Europe and, and eventually came over all the way to America. And on that particular day, October 31st, 1517, when Luther nailed his, posted his 95 theses for debate on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, among the many things in the document, he exposed the Catholic church's practice of selling indulgences. Now, what's an indulgence? Well, an indulgence is is something you purchase, a voucher that you could purchase for forgiveness. So I'm about ready to have a night on the town. I know I might be doing some sinning. I could go to the church and purchase forgiveness pre-sin. And they would forgive me. Well, at the heart of Luther's concern of all the 95 theses was how the sinner can be made right before God. And could it be through a voucher system? Could it be through an indulgence? Could it be through something other than faith? Or was it faith alone? And the distinction has to be made that when we say faith alone, we aren't meaning just the general faith that every person has. Every one of you, with the exception probably of me and my children, got in the car this morning and put their key in the ignition and turned it with the faith that it was going to roll over, start, wheels move, you get here. Or you rolled out of bed and you put your feet down on what you have faith is going to be still the floor. And it's not going to move on you. Or you have faith in your friends or wherever else your general faith may be. We're not speaking of that type of faith. When we're speaking about faith, we're speaking about faith in Christ and specifically faith alone in Christ that saves. We're speaking about saving faith. Faith that saves us for eternity. Well, how does a sinner come into right relationship with God? How is he made right before God? And the answer is we are justified, we are made right with the eternal God by faith alone and nothing else. It's faith alone that makes us right with God, nothing that we can do or add to the faith. And we cannot underestimate the incredible importance of determining whether or not scripture really says that we are justified, made right before God by faith alone. Luther himself said that justification by faith alone is the article by which the church stands and falls. Paul picks up the same thought in Galatians 1 verse 6. He says, I'm astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Meaning, anything other than faith alone to justify is a false gospel and everything else doesn't matter after that. If that's not there, everything else, though may be right, is wrong because the foundation of our being made right before God is false. 
John Piper says the same thing. Any human concern that has only to do with this world, no matter how global, no matter how painful, no matter how enduring, if it only has to do with this world, compares to the importance of saving faith as a thimble to the ocean. So what he's saying is, if our concern for this world and and the problems of this world, all that I've mentioned and many more, if all of those things are there, and yet, in comparison, those things are a thimble compared to the saving faith which is the ocean. It's so much more important. Our faith is not just in anything. It's in the work of Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, and the person that is the Son of Man. Now, I want to make a few points about faith to clarify here. When we say faith, what do we mean? Again, I'm still trying to build us a foundation before we get to Romans 3. A few points. Faith is a, is a, is a three-pronged fork, if you want to think of it that way. You've got to have these three things to have true faith. Okay? Here's the first one. Faith is based on knowledge. Faith is based on knowledge. So, faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Our faith in Christ is based on evidence from Scripture that gives us knowledge about God. So, we can think of Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. That is, these things are the evidence of our faith. That those things that were talked about is the truth that we find in the Bible is what our faith is based upon. Faith is based upon knowledge. So therefore, when we preach the gospel, we want people to know that God loves them and has sent his son to die for them. That's the knowledge they need to know. That's prong number one. Prong number two. Faith is believing that the knowledge is true. Faith is believing that the knowledge is true. Let's just continue to stick with Hebrews 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who seek him. So it's not enough for me just to assent or believe and have knowledge that, yeah, he's there. But actually believe that that's true. Third prong. Longer, faith is believing, building the case here, faith is believing that the knowledge is true to the point that your trust in that knowledge saves you. Faith is believing that the knowledge is true to the point that your trust in that knowledge saves you. Now, we're going to talk about that because it's not my trust that saves me. But it's the vehicle, the mechanism by which I'm saved. We'll talk about that in a moment. Faith is based on knowledge. Faith is believing that the knowledge is true. And faith is believing that the knowledge is true to the point that you put your trust in it. Now, James 2, 19 tells us something interesting. That the demons believe in God. Okay, great. The demons have a knowledge of God. That was the first prong. Therefore, can, can demons be saved? Because they even not only believe in the knowledge, but have a knowledge of God, they actually believe that the knowledge of God is true. They have the first two prongs. So can they be saved? No. Why? Because their faith, believing that the knowledge of God is true, is not to the extent, not to the strength that it changes them. 
Their thoughts, attitudes, actions don't change. Therefore, their faith is general but not saving. Faith in God to the point that we trust that Christ's work was sufficient to save us from 100% of the wrath of God and secure for us the love and fatherly affection of God 100% all the time for us. Well, we looked at faith, but we still haven't answered the question. Does faith in Christ alone save? Isn't there something else that we need to do? Isn't even our faith that we're supposed to have actually a work? Well, let's answer that question. Romans 3 does for us. So I hope you still have your Bible open there. If not, it's on page 941 of your pew Bible. And we're going to spend just a few moments. I would encourage you just to place your eyes on the text. And I'm going to have mine on the text as well. And we're going to see whether or not the Bible teaches us that faith alone in Christ saves. Verse 21. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Okay, so your eyes are on the text. Look at verse 19 and 20. Let's build a little context. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Okay, the whole world accountable to God because of the law. Verse 20, for by works of the law... No human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Okay, so there's two ways to go here right now. Only one really explained to us. And that is we're going to go and meet God, be made right with him through the law. Can we hold to the law perfectly? And the Bible says in verse 20, no. No one can do enough law keeping to be justified, made right in his sight. So now we get to 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Okay, we have another way now. Not just through law. Apparently the righteousness of God, Paul is telling us, is a way to get to God. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Okay, so we can get the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now notice, he says, for there's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace. All of us have failed in the law keeping. All of us have fallen short by the route of the law keeping from being made right before God. Therefore, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom, verse 25, God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Okay, so basically, up to this point, he's saying, you got the law and you got faith. And all of us are on the law side. We're born under the law. And, and that's the only route we have, and yet we've all failed it. And yet something else comes along. God manifests his righteousness to us apart from the law. He provides another way. And this righteousness is to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over sins. Former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. So that he. That's an important word. Underline it. He might be the just and the justifier. 
Meaning everything over here is something we can try to do. But everything over here is under his rules. And he's the only one that can do it. He's the only one who manifested the righteousness. Therefore, he's the only one who can make us just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So then, can we boast? No. It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, because God has manifested his righteousness to us, through faith, there's nothing we've done, but through the vehicle of faith, we can't boast. He gets all the glory. He's done all the work. He's given us the gift. Therefore, verse 28, for we hold that one who is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Meaning, we're all over here and God does something for us. Now, let's continue with building a case as Paul does here. Therefore, Paul is basically saying, it's not enough to believe that Jesus died. It's not enough to believe that Jesus died. You can believe that Jesus died and it won't get you any closer to heaven than anybody else. The mere historical fact of Jesus dying does not save. What saves is when we believe in Jesus' death to be that which saves us. That's what shifts things. That's when we recognize God's work for us. It goes from knowledge to putting our trust in him to actually save us. But we still have the question, what does it mean to have saving faith? That sounds like a work to me, that I have saving faith. So let's go to Ephesians 2. Just turn with me there, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. You may well know this passage that tells us that God gifts us with faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay, there's the continual line of thinking from Paul. And this is not your own doing. So we didn't do anything. We didn't even do our faith, he says. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, so God gives us the faith. It's not a work. I get that. So does that mean that God has faith for me? No. God doesn't have faith for us. He doesn't do the believing for us. We are the ones who exercise faith. We are the ones who exercising the faith that he gives us. But but faith is something that we do. But does faith save us? No. No. Faith doesn't save us. Christ saves us. The work of Christ is the foundation of our salvation, not our faith. It's his righteousness given to me who is unrighteous that saves me. Faith is not even in the driving vehicle of our salvation. God's the power behind our salvation. So what is this faith thing? Have I got you confused enough yet? Let's try to explain it. By way of the gospel. When a person hears the gospel. What do they hear? They hear that God loves them. That he has shown that love by sending his one and only son to this earth to live and to die in their place. When they believe the work of Jesus on the cross and his rising from the dead to be true. When that knowledge moves to belief which moves to trust. And that their life is changed by the truth. That's called faith. 
Faith is the mechanism by which we receive God's work of change in our lives. We don't grab it, we receive it, open-handed. It's evidencing to the world that God's work within us was actually God's work in us, in that it bore the fruit of faith. It was my faith, but it was God's choice to choose me. It was my choice to trust God. But it was my faith and my choice coming as a result of God's choice to make me alive spiritually instead of dead spiritually in my sin. And because God saved, the fruit is faith. No faith, no saving. Or we could change up the words. Trust is the mechanism by which we receive God's work of change in our lives. The reformers put it this way. Faith is like the empty hand that receives justification. Faith receives the merits of Christ. God changes me and gives me the ability to hold out in faith. And he places in that justification. Saying, I am right before him by the merit of Christ. Now the warning needs to be this. There is a common phrase today. And you will hear it. If not hear it soon, you will hear it before too long. That saving faith is faithfulness. No, it's not. Saving faith is not faithfulness, but saving faith bears fruit in faithfulness. Now, let's go to saving faith is faithfulness. If that's true, what that means is if we're faithful, we get saving faith. Is that true? No. We can't do anything to merit the saving faith of Christ. It's given to us. And therefore, if we desire it, we know that it's only Because of God giving us the ability to desire these things. Now we have to have a full stop moment here. Because we've made the argument. Paul has made the argument very clear. That saving faith in Christ is the only way we are made right before God. He's the just and the justifier. He's the one who gives us this faith. And it's then our faith that saves. But notice... It's, it's our faith in Christ that saves. But th- then we've got James 2. What do we do with James 2? Turn there with me uh, to James 2, verse 14. Here we seem to have a contradictory passage. And this is the passage that many would go to to say it's faith plus. That I've got to have faith and something else to save. And typically the thought is faith plus works. Or faith are things that I have to do. And so James... Makes an argument here. And he seems to be making the argument at a cursory glance that it's faith plus works. And so let's see if that's true. James 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother and does not have works, can that faith save him? So James starts out with a question. Is it faith alone? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Whoa, James, stop. Everybody, stop. Now, verse 17 seems to be faith plus something else. Because if it doesn't have works, it's dead. So James, are you telling us that it's not faith alone? So look at verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. Now will you show you my faith by my works. 
You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? What? When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way also was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Well, let's just key in quickly on verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We don't want dead faith. And you see, he he correlates body to faith and spirit to works. So if there's no spirit, there's no body. And there's no works, there's no faith. What's James saying? How does it relate to Romans? Is the Bible contradicting itself? No, I do not believe it is at all. I think what is being said clearly, and you may have heard this phrase before, is justification is by faith alone, but never by faith that is alone. Meaning, saving faith brings with it a companion. It's got a friend that it kind of brings to the party. And that party, or that friend, is Good works, or you can put it simply another way, saving faith bears fruit, which is good works. Now, we could back up quickly and we won't have time, but I'll just read again Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Faith alone. But notice, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, here's the companion, for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So James is simply making the argument. If your faith doesn't bear fruit and good works that God has prepared beforehand. There was no saving faith at the beginning. He's not arguing that saving faith. It's faith and works. He's simply saying your faith will be seen by your works. Romans 4, 4 through 5. Now to the one who works, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So if we want to try to work, we can't do it. And if we try to work our way to God, the wages of our work is death. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Galatians 2, 16 We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So what are you trusting this morning to be the merit of your salvation? Is it your faith that you're trusting? No, it should not be. Are you trusting the work of Christ? That's where your faith should lie. 
Have you recognized the perfect love of God shown to us by the person and work of Jesus Christ? Coming to this earth, living a perfect life, dying an unjust death. For us, who will repent and believe? Do you believe that he died for your sins? Taking the wrath of God that was deserved for you. Taking the punishment for your sins. Have you trusted in his death alone to be the means by which you are made right before God? Does your life evidence this trust by repentance from your sin? And if you've not done so today, have you recognized that today could be, can be, your day of salvation for all of eternity? And that is good news. That you can respond to the work of Christ for you in faith and be saved. Apart from whatever else you've done in your life up to this point. And nothing after this point is going to save you anymore. Than the work of Christ to save you. Brothers and sisters. God forgiving us of our sins. Is not enough for us to appear in heaven. Why? Because because the holiness of God is what is required to be in the presence of the Holy One. And therefore, brothers and sisters, the doctrine of sola fide, faith alone, blasts the trumpet of hope to the church, stating that not only was our sin forgiven at the cross, but that the perfection of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, the holiness of Christ was laid upon us was given to us in exchange for our filthy and unholy unrighteousness. The doctrine of faith alone teaches that we are moved by the righteousness of God from 100% of God being against us to 100% of Him being for us. This is what Roman 8 says. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ because He's all for us. Who can be against us, the end of Romans 8 says. No one if God is for us. So not only has he forgiven your sin, he's given you all the righteousness of Christ. And his gift is never retracted for the believer in Jesus Christ. That's unbelievable news for the believer. The Heidelberg Catechism puts it this way. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Notice what it says. Although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all God's commandments, have never kept any of them, and am still inclined to all evil, yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me, gives to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Notice, he grants these to me, the righteousness of Christ, he grants to me as if I had never committed any sin. He gives me the righteousness of Christ through faith as if I was perfect like Christ. As if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me, if only I accept this gift with a believing heart. Oh, what a joy it is to be a believer. Because it's nothing we've done. It's a gift by faith alone. And that faith assures us of the righteousness of God, which is required to be in the, right, to be in the presence of God for all eternity. Thus we sing, my faith is a sure foundation, a steady anchor. 
The scripture puts it even better in closing. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. And I would add, we have peace for all eternity with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, that is Christ, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Brothers and sisters, we are justified. We are made right before God by faith alone. And that is, at the core of the gospel, the best news we could have today. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a joy it is to be a believer in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have given us the ability and the desire to receive by faith the perfection of Jesus Christ that was displayed for us in that he did not remain in the tomb but rose again on the third day, conquering death and sin. And therefore, Father, that we know the wages of sin is death But in the victory of Christ, the sting of death has been removed. Because the righteousness of Christ for those of us who believe in faith has been granted to us, given to us for all eternity. Father, we thank you that there is nothing we can do to be saved apart from faith in Christ alone. Because if there is one thing I could do, then that faith is based upon, then that saving faith is based upon whether or not I get it right. And if there's one thing I can do, then there's probably one thing that somebody else can do, and I hope mine is better. But the scripture teaches us, Father, that there's nothing we can do. We're saved in Christ through faith alone. And we thank you, Father, that you are faithful and just, as the just and the justifier, to make us righteous before you. Father, we ask that as we go this morning, this truth might ring sure and deep as the winds of doubt blow through us, as the, as the life buffets us and, and, and comes against us this week, that the, the keel, the anchor, the ballast of our faith and trust and walk with you this week would be would be grounded deep, deep, deep in the work of Christ for us. We thank you for your word that teaches us, encourages us for this week. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.